Welcome to In Social Work, the podcast series of the University of Buffalo School of Social Work at www.insocialwork.org. We're glad you could join us today. The purpose of In Social Work is to engage practitioners and researchers in lifelong learning and to promote research to practice and practice to research. We educate, we connect, we care. We're In Social Work. Hi from Buffalo. Most visitors agree that Buffalo possesses a tremendous sense of native pride. Our beloved quirks and gems include charbroiled hot dogs at Ted's, sponge candy, some of the finest art deco architecture in the country, and the opportunity to get over to the West Side Bazaar and munch on Thai, Ethiopian, Burmese, and Peruvian food in the same room. I'm Peter Sabota. Both the literature and practice experience have shown that low-income people around the world can use credit efficiently, make timely payments, and save to help make their lives more manageable. In this episode, our guests, Dr. Wan Yang Lee, Mira Putt, and Noro Wiriadingurum, discuss the range of financial services and products called microfinance that provides low-income people the access to affordable and quality financial services that promote the building of assets. Our guests describe what microfinance is, how it works, why it's used, and its potential. They speak to the connection to social work and how our skill set lines up with the skills necessary to assist microfinancing efforts. They conclude with recommendations for social work education and how to include content and skills related to microfinance in the social work curriculum. Dr. Wan Young Lee is an assistant professor at the School of Social Welfare at the University of Albany, State University of New York. Her research areas include local business development in low-income areas and developing entrepreneurial opportunities for marginalized populations. She's examining immigrants' access to borrowing opportunities in the U.S. context and rural populations' access to microloans in the Indonesian context. Mira Putt is a doctoral student at the School of Social Welfare at University of Albany, State University of New York. Her research interest is in studying microenterprises, poverty and marginalization in the Global South, as well as holistic social work education. Her current research focuses on microprocesses in stakeholder-owned enterprises in India and Argentina. Noru Wiriaringrum is a doctoral student at the School of Social Welfare at the University of Albany. Her research interests include micro and small enterprises development, particularly for marginalized populations. She is currently working with Dr. Lee on a project examining rural populations' access to microloans in Indonesia. Our guests were interviewed in March of 2016 by our own Dr. Shanta Murshid, assistant professor uh, here at the UB School of Social Work. Thank you for joining us today to do this podcast. I'm Shanta, and I'll be conducting the interviews. First of all, could you please explain the concept of microfinance to audiences who might not be familiar with it? So we'll start with Bonhang, Mira, and then Nuro. So first of all, I'd like to draw a distinction between the term microcredit and microfinance <laughs> and why we decided to use the term microfinance. I believe that microcredit is a term that many people are already familiar with, 
from the examples like Grameen Bank in Bangladesh or Kiva, the organization that links microloan lenders and borrowers all over the world. When my colleagues and I were discussing microloans, microcredits, and、uh, microlending practices, however, we realized that microcredit is actually a very small portion of a larger structure of microfinance. So a lot of what we understand as the practice of lending money to the poor actually is tied to other financial and social aspects of empowering the poor. So in other words, microcredit, if we understand as a practice that provides just a credit, we wanted to use microfinance as a broader concept that is likely to suggest that a more comprehensive and sustainable intervention is needed. Along with microcredit products or programs, right? So it's an array of financial services, not just microcredit, and that's what you're looking at. Yes. Okay. I'm Mita. So microfinance must be understood as an umbrella term rather than sort of just a small concept, it, and it encompasses various financial activities. Like microbanking, which includes both savings as well as credit, and so credit becomes a very small component of the larger sort of group of activities. And all this is micro because it is happening at a smaller scale with regards to money, not necessarily with regards to operations, because it actually covers a great number of people. Some of the other products that fall under this umbrella of microfinance are microinsurance and micropension. And microfinance can be understood as an excellent intervention for removing barriers of access for financial inclusion of marginalized populations, in particular. These barriers of access in banking infrastructure, and this would be particularly relevant for poor countries like India and Indonesia, or barriers to access like credit history or the lack of credit history, or the lack of a financial collateral. Microfinance also is very relevant to increase、uh, financial literacy as well as inculcating financial discipline in terms of saving money and then borrowing and then repaying in populations that are not used to doing that. Or and so this brings us, you know, sort of touches upon the issue of intergenerational poverty. Microfinance is also an excellent tool for organizing and community building. For social, economic, and political action, this could be something like the case of domestic violence, let's say, in a village. And not only is there excellent peer support for somebody who's part of microfinance group, but women or the community can organize for action to sort of stop domestic violence that might be happening in a specific home in that community or on a larger scale in the community. Often, microfinance also becomes the backbone of livelihood intervention programs, or entrepreneurship programs, or programs that are also known as skill-building programs. So, hence, microfinance is a much larger concept and must be viewed in all its glory. I'm Nurul, and so as an intervention, microfinance service can be provided as a part of a more holistic approach to poverty alleviation or empowerment. Or it can also provide it as a standalone services. Examples of more holistic approach to poverty includes like Prague in Bangladesh, where、mm-hmm. financial services is provided along with transfer of 
productive assets such as uh, providing cattle for the family in rural area and then providing also consumption support, health education or services. Another example would be Promuher provided health education and services to the microfinance clients. Various organizations can provide microfinance services and it also depends on the financial regulations in the country. So in terms of formal or legal status, bank can provide microfinance services. And some key examples like Grameen banks are actually bank. But non-profit organizations also play an important role. Although they probably are not allowed to provide direct financial services, so they take forms of in the forms of cooperatives or credit unions. There are also cases where governments provide uh, microcredit. For example, in Indonesia, we have microcredit as part of the national government's poverty alleviation program, and it's delivered by government offices. Okay. But your work is in Indonesia and in India. In this study, our work includes Indonesia, India, and the United States. So you will be talking about one specific study or a more holistic understanding of what you've been doing? For this study, we're talking about one specific study, which in that study, we looked at three countries mm-hmm. and the relationship between microfinance and social work profession. But I think a lot of information about microfinance came out when we tried to define what microfinance is and why we use microfinance instead of other alternative concepts. Okay, so could you then give us an illustration of how microfinance works? So imagine a group of poor, illiterate or neoliterate construction laborers, and they could be in any country for the case of Sort of, they could be in India, Indonesia, or U.S. These would be minimum wage earners, unable to sort of pay the minimum amount to open a bank account in a commercial bank. They spend or they lose sometimes whatever they save because they do not have a safe place to save. Also, whatever they may save may not grow because the money stays with them. It cannot be invested because they cannot open a bank account. Now, microfinance could be in an individual or a group setting. In a group setting, let's say a social worker goes to the neighborhood or the workplace where these uh, construction workers work and, um, you know, suggests that they start a self-help group, what may even be called as a neighborhood group or a joint liability group. Basically, they start a group, they meet a couple of times, and then they decide on the amount and frequency that they can save, depending on what they earn, that they realistically can save. And now each of these groups may have somewhere between 10 to 20 members, out of which they elect a president and a secretary who will transact with the bank on behalf of the group with the help of the social worker. Mm-hmm. Now, together, the group will have enough money for it to make it to the minimum amount for opening a bank account in most cases. In some countries now, since microfinance has proliferated so much and is so popular, banks have also reduced the amount that a group needs to deposit in order to open an account. Mm -hmm. Now, 
Each group makes their own rules about how often they're going to meet, where they're going to meet, how long they will save, when they will start giving loans. But in general, if you look at the larger literature available or if you speak to organizations that are in the field, they will tell you that for the first six months or so, groups are encouraged just to save. And then after the six months, they may start lending to members. So just within the group, which which is also known as internal lending. And this helps this time is sort of an incubation period. It helps them to develop their own processes and and sort of develop their own understanding of what works for them. And it's not sort of a set approach or a model that is applied everywhere, and which is partly why it works so well. And then after the six months of saving, which is followed by a period of internal lending, the group can look or ask for a bank loan from the bank and disperse it according to what they see fit. The group also charges an interest, which either helps increase the capital of the group or goes to back to the group as, as dividends. And in this period, the group is encouraged to maintain meticulous records. And these records often serve as a credit history or a collateral for the bank when the bank is sort of looking to see whether the group is stable enough to give them money. And when you're speaking about these organizations, are they specifically in Indonesia, India, or the United States? I'm assuming there are different mechanisms. So could you identify where your example is from? I'm from India. So this example particularly, I'm talking, I'm generalizing from my experience of having worked with organized or sort of observed the work of organizations like Seva Bank or Hello Medical Foundation. So these are organizations in Western India. But a lot of it I also draw from literature and I'm trying to sort of paint a general picture of how group lending works. Of course, things will differ and in some ways that is the beauty of microfinance that, you know, there's it's democratic ownership and democratic sort of building of the program. And so people can make their own decisions. Right. And not all countries have, say, social workers who help in these processes. So that would change that. So when I say social workers, again, it's a very broad term. They may be social workers with professional social work training or they may not. But it's also possible that they might just be bank extension workers who have gone to a school of social work and attended a week-long workshop. Or maybe it's not even that, but this work that they do and the way they function is very overlapping with what social work seeks to, or what social workers would do in a similar situation. So could you then speak to how microfinance is administered in the United States and how that may be similar or different from other regions in which you've studied microfinance? Sure. So this is Wanyang. So microfinance exists in the U.S. as well, and I think it has potential to keep growing. In the U.S., also multiple sectors, uh, such as the government, private banks, or nonprofits all provide microfinance services. And also a global institutions such as Grameen America or mm-hmm. Axion International, they're already actively engaging with low-income populations, especially immigrant populations in major cities. And many CDFIs, Community Development Financial Institutions, have their own microloan program. These organizations overall seem to understand that the importance of the other aspects of finance, 
which goes beyond just providing a credit. So we can see a lot of organizations provide services like savings, business trainings, or financial educations in the U.S. At the same time, I think it's worth mentioning some of the differences that we can see in microfinance practices in the U.S. compared to India and Indonesia. First of all, I think it's important to keep in mind that the scale is different. So in the U.S., the microloan is usually defined as loans under about $35,000, which goes usually about 10 times or up to 50 times larger compared to the amount that we usually define in the context of India or Indonesia. Also, when we discuss microfinance or microenterprise in the U.S., of course, the business environment is very different. Mm -hmm. So a, a couple hundred dollars could be sufficient for the context of India or Indonesia. But in the U.S., a lot larger amount of loan would be necessary to cover some of the startup cost option. And there are more obstacles and regulations that could hinder people's access to loans and their process of setting up a business in the United States. And I would say that that could be a reason why also in the U.S., business trainings or financial educations often go hand in hand with microloan programs because the skills such as bookkeeping, credit history management, or marketing type of work matters a lot in the context of the United States. So in your recent work, you've talked about how social workers may have a role in the practice of microfinance, and Mira has touched upon that a little bit, but could you please tell us a little more about how microfinance is important to social work? I will start by sort of making a point as to why this overlap became interesting to us. Mm -hmm. So first of all, microfinance has proliferated across the global south or what we call the developing world, which is Asia, Africa, and Latin America. And the World Bank says that there are about somewhere between 7,000 to 10,000 microfinance institutions globally Mm. with somewhere near 30 million clients. And at the same time, the World Bank also says that this is only 4% of the potential clientele of microfinance institutions. So, you know, there's a long way to go and how, you know, commercial microfinance institutions might put it is that there's still a huge market that one may be able to cover. But what it means to me as a social worker is that there are still a lot of people without access to banking services. 84% of the current active borrowers are in Asia, 8% are in Africa, and 5% are in Latin America. The repayment rate of microfinance lingers somewhere around 98%, which is much, much higher than commercial banking. So on one hand, there's this proliferation and huge potential for sort of future development of of microfinance and, and banking services. And on the other hand is severe global income and wealth inequality as is being discussed pretty much every day in the news these days, is that global wealth and inequality is increasing more and more. People are being pushed to the margins for various social, economic, and political reasons. They are unable to break out of the cycle of poverty simply by working hard or working smart even. And subsistence becomes harder and harder with each passing day, all the more when they're unable to access basic services that some of us take for granted, like health or education or banking. And this is 
just as true for the U.S. as it is for countries like India or Indonesia, though there might be relative differences of what is more sort of easily available or where there are barriers of access in each of these countries or these parts of the world. And at such times, you know, innovative bottom-up initiatives like microfinance, when they're bottom-up and democratic, have made a significant dent, I would say, and are capable of producing cumulative impact in a large way, and which is why this is of interest to us as social workers. And I think Wonyoung will elaborate more on the topic. Yeah, so Mira gave us a very good introduction of how we were interested in and how we were exposed to these microfinance practices all over the world. And I want to add that as we talked more about the microfinance, we wanted to remind almost ourselves and the readers of the fact that social workers are actually working with people who struggle with finances and financial barriers. And in fact, many of the issues that social work tries to address are related to the economic conditions that characterize many disadvantaged populations, Mm -hmm. like poverty, unemployment, and lack of access to loans or business opportunities. And so we came to think about the concept of economic justice and how that is a critical part of the social work mission. As the Council on Social Work Education specifies that, you know, social work is about eliminating oppressive structural barriers and also ensuring the equitable goods and rights and responsibilities. In this sense, we thought that, okay, knowing alternative sources of finance other than banks or fringe economy for low-income people and connecting them to the right resources is definitely related to social work profession. So, so far we've discussed mostly the potential benefits of microfinance. Could you so also speak a little bit about the risks that microfinance could entail and whether social workers have a role in solving some of those problems with microfinance? Yeah, sure. Um, Mira has mentioned a little bit of how about commercial microfinance. And so we see that microfinance, particularly microcredit, has become kind of lucrative business. Pioneers like Bremen or Sewa or Bragg, they use microfinance as a tool for poverty alleviation. But however, because it, the growing popularity of microfinance shows there are potential business in providing financial services to the poor. So in some cases, it becomes like money-making business with poor people, but mm-hmm. lack of commitments to social change. Another criticism is that uh, microfinance often target women. One of the criticisms is that uh, women is targeted because they are easier to discipline and it increased burden on women who used to be homemakers and now they have to be like breadwinners as well. And so there is no time to discussing people's needs and social and political issues because commercial microfinance tends to focus on business and how to preserve how to provide credit, but also to draw repayments and they charge very high interest. And then mm-hmm. oftentimes they then they don't reach the right people or the poorest of the poor. So our research indicates that social workers can ameliorate most of these issues. So part of it by doing a better outreach and needs assessments, keeping track of social and political issues with economic ones, Mm -hmm. and instill gender and sensitivity into the programs. 
Another way is to create measurable parameters for groups and microfinance institutions, capacity buildings, and ensuring that microfinance does not only become a standalone lending activity. So social workers can help to fill the gaps and make the practice of microfinance better, particularly with their skills interacting with people and systems and organizations management, and including like research on policy and knowledge. Right. What about the criticism, and this is a little bit of a digression, but the criticism of how microfinance creates long-term debt instead of alleviating poverty. So how do you think social workers can change that? I would sort of take us back to the first question that you asked us on differentiating microcredit and microfinance. And I think that's where part of the problem lies, that very often just microcredit or microlending is pushed off as microfinance without all the various supports and structures and the time-expensive and effort-expensive work of awareness generation financial literacy, inculcating financial discipline doesn't happen, but loans are pushed in. Um, and, and interestingly, you know, we spoke to a range of financial institutions. So we spoke mm-hmm. to very sort of feminist movement oriented groups that are doing microfinance. And we also spoke to a non-banking finance company, which is sort of a more commercial form of a microfinance institution. The difference between them was that the feminist organization said that, well, well, our work started from doing poverty-related work with women in slums, Mm -hmm. and then microfinance sort of happened, and so we provide this area of services. The microfinance institution said that, well, we started with lending, but now we have come to believe that our clients will benefit from receiving health-related you know, improved health and education access. So we contract out, we are a company, but we contract out to NGOs in the area to do that sort of work with them. Can I add to that too? There Mm -hmm. is a growing evidence that it's not credit that's the main financial service that needed by the poor. There is a book shows that actually poor people need more on staffing instead of credit. So they need uh, services that they can do their savings in a safer way. Because currently they are doing their savings, like small things in the pot or small amount of money under their pillow. So that kind of thing, they already do that. But what they need is some saving services that are much safer than what they already have. So by expanding the microfinance concept, not only to microcredit, then we recognize that it's not pushing the poor people into a more debt, but basically provided financial services that is provided to like middle income classes. So I think this not limiting the concepts into microcredits is uh, is important. Another point that I would like to make is that you know there was somewhat of a subprime lending crisis in India um, right. sometime in in 2010 or 2009 or 2010 some sometime around that and the Reserve Bank of India, which is sort of the main government bank that controls all the other banks, did an inquiry, set up an inquiry commission that looked into it, which basically said that it was just microcredit and within 10 to 15 days of being introduced to the clients, they were being given loans without properly knowing who these clients were, what their other liabilities were, right. what their livelihood capabilities were and whether they had other loans. And and a large number of those clients were being given consumption loans. 
not necessarily loans that would augment either their living conditions or their livelihood conditions. So in no way was their quality of life being improved, but they were simply big, being given loans. And there was an ordinance that was passed by the state government where these subprime lending-related suicides happened. But the larger policy has been up for renewal for a while, but we haven't seen anything come out yet. And if you look at the Internet, there is no dearth of material that talks about how there is a necessity for a regulating body that regulates how these loans are given, how these assessment is done, and you know, to, to prevent this sort of a subprime lending crisis at what rates. And in some ways, I would say that these are issues not very different than actual banking. There was a subprime lending crisis even right. with not banking for non-poor people. There are similar issues, and so I guess we just have to be careful, which is why we again believe that social workers have a role to play, a very important role to play, where they ameliorate all of these or some of these issues that exist with a non-holistic view and a non-people-centered view of the intervention. Well, thanks. And so moving on, India and Indonesia are two of the largest countries in South and Southeast Asia that have widely implemented microfinance practices. So do you think social workers are already working in microfinance practices in these two countries based on what you've seen in your own work? I will talk about India. So yes, there are social workers already working with organizations that do microfinance related work. These agencies do hire from schools of social work. The non-government organizations or the voluntary agencies or the movement-oriented organizations or the government tends to hire more from schools of social work than the commercial microfinance sector, though in our study some of the agencies we interviewed told us that they are beginning to hire graduates of social work, particularly to bring a livelihood perspective into the organization. But at the same time, you know, agencies are reporting that they're not the social workers are not the only kind of staff that they hire. So there's that combination of different kinds of skills that they need. So, yeah, that's what I have to say about India. Do you have any sense of the percentage of you know, social work workers mm-hmm. as, you know, as compared to other kinds of workers or, you know, with other degrees? No, that would be a very large scale study that we might be able to do in the future, but it would have to be a very large scale enumerated. Right now, we were just trying to get a sense of, you know, what is going on. And this was more like a pilot. Right. So in your particular organization, could you get a sense of how many they have from social work background? So they told us how many they had from a social work background, and it really varied. If they were, you know, a movement or an NGO sort of organization, they said all sort of heads of department. So they said that all their community workers came from the community. So, you know, what what would be like a bank agent so Mm -hmm. would be people from the community. But on top of that, there would either be human resources staff or finance staff or largely social work or social science graduates. but And then on the other end of the spectrum, we had a commercial microfinance agency that said that we have three or four social workers in the head office who train the rest of the staff who come from pretty much any discipline. That staff is old and, you know, well-trained, but social workers have certain know-how or they're younger graduates, so they're more sort of up-to-date with issues. 
So no, I do not have a number sense of what. <laughs> and it really varies, and it would be a very interesting study. But as yet, we do not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. Yes, and in Indonesia, at least based on uh, my interviews, there is still limited role of social workers. I think there is a different context in Indonesia mm-hmm. where the key microfinance institutions in Indonesia are banking sectors. And we had a, a period of time where, with an oppressive governments where there was a limited role of non-profit or non-government organizations in microfinance. Mm-hmm. We just recently have NGOs involved in the microfinance. Mm-hmm. And for the organizations that I interviewed, they say that they can see the potential role of social workers in microfinance. However, the potential has yet to be realized. They don't require their field staff from even from university degree. So they require staff. They even receive staff, uh, field staff from like high school, because what they need is someone who are willing to work in the field, like speaking with the poor woman and willing to listen to. So they don't necessarily require like a specific academic background. I see. And how about in the United States? Do you think social workers have a role in microfinance practice in the United States? For Wong Hyun? Yep. I would say, I think the situation in the U.S. is more similar to what Nuru just described, except for the part that whether that requires a degree or not. Our interviews found that there are some social workers working in microfinance institutions, especially the ones that serve immigrant populations. But that was a very small number. Mostly the people who are working in these industries are from business, accounting, finance, public policy, and those disciplines. And other institutions that are not serving big immigrant populations did not really see the need to hire social workers, per se, but they acknowledge that understanding the need of low-income population and what issues are there around poverty is important. So there was one organization that actually provides training about right. poverty and how to interact with this population. So I would say that there is potential, but it's similar that currently social workers' involvement in this area is not so prominent. I meet up. Can I add something? So most social work programs in India will teach students about microfinance and particularly students that graduate with specializations in rural development or community development will certainly have entire courses on microfinance and related activities or Mm -hmm. livelihood and then microfinance will be a part of that. There are also long distance courses that we found online that were run by the distance learning university on microfinance. And before we move on, could you please talk a little about your method? How many people did you talk to? It sounds like you talked to people at organizations as well as educators and students. So how many of each in each country did you speak to as part of your study? Sure. So we started our study by interviewing the microfinance practitioners and social work educators in India, Indonesia, and the United States. So, so far we have 21 participants. Our participants have include two social work educators, two microfinance practitioners, and one social work student in India, and two microfinance practitioners, two social work educators, and one formal social work student in Indonesia, and two social work educators, four microfinance practitioners, and five social work students in the United States. And in addition to the interviews, we also 
conducted some online search of the MSW programs in these three countries to see whether any programs are providing any uh, courses or areas of concentration that are related to microfinance. I see. Sounds very exciting. And so moving on, what are some of the specific social work skills that could be useful for working in a microfinance setting? This is one young. I think I will go first. Before we talk about some specific skills, first, I think it's important to talk about the social work skills, that why social work skills are useful and more applicable to microfinance. And Mm -hmm. we think that that's because social work skills are based on social work approaches, which are strength-based and empowerment-oriented. And one of the themes that came up in our interviews in all three countries was that social work approach really stresses that we meet people where they are and try to help them to help themselves, which is very different from the approaches that are purely profit-driven. So microfinance practitioners talked a lot about the value of social work approach in where social workers try to reach to the most disadvantaged population and help them really see their strengths and build upon them. And it also related to the value of self-determination, which allows the clients to really set their own pace of development rather than being told what to right. do, what to do. And one of the practitioners working in the U.S. also mm-hmm. mentioned that having the social work mindset is so important because according to him, as a practitioner, he sees the financial knowledge is something that can be learned. But the mindset itself, which really values the relationship building, is more of a decision rather than a knowledge or a skill per se. Another important factor that came up was empathy and the fact that social workers are able to empathize with the poor and they're able to speak in a language that is understood by the poor and then speak in a language that is understood by systems and non-poor people in general. They understand that there are structural issues that cause poverty and the poor are not poor because they're lazy or that they're stupid. In fact, if anything, they're extremely enterprising to be able to survive in the situations that they survive in. There was a very interesting quote that came up from an agency in India. The person at the agency said that we prefer social work graduates because they're well aware of ground realities and are very much able to feel the pulse of the underprivileged. Mm -hmm. They're skilled in involving community in decision-making that is not undermining their views, but simultaneously changing the community's views on gender, education, financial literacy. For non-social work graduates, that would be very challenging. I think that is extremely an important point that they make there. Yes. There are some more tangible skills that are also important. One common theme that came up from our interview is that effective communications is important. As Mira said, social workers are trained in empathy and also active listening skills. Uh, This is even said by practitioners in Indonesia who, as I said before, still have a limited, where social workers still have a limited role in microfinance. So one of the practitioners said that they don't offer their services on on the first meeting with the poor woman, but they will talk with the poor woman and listen to their problems and their complaints. Mm-hmm. So it is important for the field staff to have the patience and willingness to listen to the poor woman. 
Another important skill is working with the group, particularly for microfinance that employ the group setting. As Mira said before, that the group settings originally are intended to develop social capital and set solidarity. But however, in a commercial microfinance, it's often that instead of building solidarity or social capital, group settings becomes like more a pressure group for right. payment. Social workers who train in the group work and community practice can play important role in developing this solidarity and social capital. Because mm-hmm. then social worker can assume a role as a collaborator, increase raising critical awareness, and facilitate group members. Another set of skills is the skills like research, advocacy, monitoring, evaluations, need assessments are also important. We have discussed earlier how these skills can improve the works of microfinance institutions in targeting and developing the services that are actually meet the needs of the low-income populations. Right. Well, those are all really good reasons for which social workers should be part of microfinance. Mm-hmm. And so the last question of the day, what are some implications for social work education? Yeah, I will start with that. Some implications for social work education is how to include microfinance in the curriculum. That can be done with uh, include electives like banking and finance, business plan developments, microentrepreneurship, and financial literacy. Another way is to develop internship, extend internship for those social workers who want to work in the international settings, maybe working with the inner organizations that provide microfinance services, mm-hmm. but also with organizations that do research, advocacy, and program development on microfinance institutions. There is also a call for a stronger practice where we can bring practitioners in class to share their experience and Students can conduct training at the local microfinance institutions or local skill development centers. I think that's probably the general idea. Maybe Mira can add something. As a student of social work and rural development in India, I would like to give examples of assignments that we did as students. So some of our field work would be in an open community where we were expected to mobilize women's groups under the supervision of a faculty member, bring them together and do what a microfinance outreach worker would do. Other activities would be to go to existing group or to be placed in a microfinance agency and do needs assessment of what sort of training they required to go back to school to develop training modules and then to test them out in the field. And so these sort of innovative or sort of more hands-on internships can certainly help they could also just be class assignments, but, you know, you develop a training module in a class, but then you go to the field and test it out. So just things that are more hands-on can certainly help students. Will Young? Okay, I want to add on one example from Albany. So there is a micro-lending program that was created through a collaborating effort between School of Social Welfare and School of Business at Albany called SEED, Small Enterprise Economic Development. Mm -hmm. And in this program, social workers provide peer support for the people who go through the business training and microloan application. And it is a field placement currently Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. MSW students. And it is also class assignments for some of the students in my class. They're currently developing an evaluation plan for the program. 
So this kind of example suggests that using microfinance as a field placement or a class assignment is also doable mm-hmm. in the U.S. And it could really provide real-life experience for students. In all, however, we want to underscore that there are remaining challenges for social workers to be engaging in the microfinance sector. One of the reasons that we think it's difficult is that social workers often are not competent mm-hmm. to think of themselves working in this sector because they're not familiar with the business operations, mm-hmm. like knowledge, or when they mm-hmm. hear the word finance, you know, they often think it's equivalent to money-making business or just the business in general. Another reason that came up is the business sector itself also has a very narrow understanding of what social workers do or what social workers can do. So I think that's also a challenge that we face. I think social workers need to deliver a different message. You know, social work <laughs> profession is a helping profession. Right. What we can help with could be broader than what is being delivered right now. And the last point would be there are still uh, strong divisions mm-hmm. in curriculums and practices and social work and microfinances or in business in general. Right. So some of these challenges also came up in our conversations with the people who participated in the study. Well, that's a very important insight. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Well, that's all we have for today. And thank you so much for a wonderful discussion on the practice of microfinance. And I think we've all learned a lot, and particularly the important insights that you have from India, Indonesia, and here in the United States. I think you know, seeing all of it together provides a really good holistic understanding of what microfinance is, and more importantly, the potential of microfinance. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to our guests, Dr. Wan Young Lee, Mira Putt, and Noru Wiriyaringurum discuss microfinance in India, Indonesia, and the United States on In Social Work. Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, Professor and Dean of the University of Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We look forward to your continued support of the series. For more information about who we are as a school, our history, our online and on-the-ground degree in continuing education programs, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. And while you're there, check out our Technology and Social Work Resource Center. You'll find it under the Community Resources menu.